This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is former Commissioner Paul Blue, and you're listening to Iron Clock, the eye test for two. Welcome to another edition of the I Test for Two podcast. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are each Hall of Fame voters, as I hope you know by now, with Ira participating in Tuesday's senior vote, where Chuck Holly, Ken Riley, and Joe Klecko were named as senior candidates for the Hall's class of 2023. Now, we're going to be joined soon by historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal to discuss the particulars of this vote. But before we do, Ira, I want to know what you think of the results. You had a candidate to present, as we know, and that was former Miami guard Bob Kuchenberg, but he didn't make it. Uh, the ninth time he's fallen short as a finalist. I thought he had a shot. You thought he had a shot. So did historian Ken Crippen, who joined us last week. In fact, he had him as one of his favorites, but he didn't make it. So A, are you disappointed? And B, can you tell us what happened? You know, Clark, everybody tells you don't take this stuff personal. That That's crazy. That's right. not. Of course you do. Of course you do. You know how much it means to these people. I don't care that Bob Kuchenberg passed away a few years ago. His family, it matters. It matters. So obviously I was crestfallen. Um, he made the first cut from 12 to 6. We'll talk about the details with, with our distinguished guest later. Um, Clark, I have no problems. With Howley and Riley, I had them one and two on my list going in, and nothing I heard had changed my mind during the meeting. By the way, Clark, it was only a three-hour meeting. Now, wow. you're, on a, you're on a Zoom call next week, seniors, yep. contributors. Right. Uh, so, look, it was passionate. And, Clark, we, we had um, a consultant. We had Dick Vermeil on the call, and Dick Vermeil weighed in basically on all 12 candidates um and he knew a lot of them very well game planning against them so clark i walked away disappointed but very happy for the riley and howley families yeah i mean it's hard to it's hard to fathom a guy who's been in front of those voters or in front of voters all the fame voters nine times as a finalist and not make it because that means People there think he's Hall of Fame worthy, but they just can't get him across the finish line. Now, I understand that because he was in the top six, he's got a real good shot at next year. But you never know, as you know, Ira. Absolutely never know. Uh, I thought I won them over, Clark, because at the end, uh, and I was the last out of the 12 presentations. I was number 12. Tommy Nobis was number one. I was number 12. And after I spoke, Vermeil weighed in on Kuchenberg, and one of the things he said, Clark, was that he used to uh, watch the films of Kuchenberg and use them as a textbook for the uh, guards on the, on the Chiefs and, and the Rams oh, wow. and the Eagles. 
I mean, wow. that's quite an endorsement. Clark. That's pretty powerful. You know, as number 12, you probably should have worn one of Ian Glendon's number 12 Tom Brady jerseys. You might have had a chance with that. Well, if I'm Brady, then I got to go AWOL, and I know there you go. show up at the Zoom call. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I do know, Ira, Cincinnati fans have to be delirious. They have to be delirious. I mean, Ken Riley, I think, has a real shot of getting in now. And as we know, uh, Cincinnati, until this time, um, and still has only one Hall of Fame player, player, Anthony Munoz, in 54 years of existence. That's hard to believe. Been to three Super Bowls and one player. But I think he's got a real shot. And Dallas fans who've been waiting decades for Chuck Holley, too, a first time, a first team all pro decade for five years. They have to be happy because he's on the verge. Both these guys are on the verge. And we should point out to our listeners, they're not in. They still have to go in front of voters, the, the full board of selectors of 49 selectors before the Super Bowl. But they're halfway there. And Clark, you and I are going to pr- probably devote a whole show because you and I don't necessarily agree on this point. And I'd love to hear what our guest has to say. But Clark Kuchenberg, for instance, in 2002, Clark, it was his first time in the room. And he made it through two cuts and got to the final six. There were six instead of five that year. Yep, right. Only to be rebuffed in the final up and down. So Clark he came that close to being basically a first ballot Hall of Famer, and now he's still waiting 20 years later. Yeah, I mean, crazy. crazy. Well, let's cut to the chase and get John Turney of Pro Football Journal right in here. Um, John, first of all, thanks very much. Secondly, you, you might as well piggyback on what Ira just said. You surprised that Cooch didn't make it? Well, I, I am a little bit. I thought he had a very good shot. I, I made some predictions a few weeks ago. And I had him as, as having a decent shot. So it seems like in terms of the queue, he was waiting a long time and he's been a, a finalist a lot of times. So, yeah, I mean, that's a little disappointing in that he had good testimonials as well. And he had uh, Pro Bowls. And not only that, he, uh, he made all pro at tackle one year where he had to fill in. So it's quite an impressive resume. So I think Ira, I'm sure, did a good job. But when I saw the list uh, published, uh, it wasn't surprising. Oh, wow. Uh, well, let me ask you about the list. Uh, your reaction to Riley, Howley, and Klecko making it as the three choices? Well, I've followed this process a long time and, and listened and, and read what a lot of the former voters said were Hall of Fame criteria. A lot of them would talk about honors or statistics and the what they said or testimonials, what maybe Anthony Munoz said about Joe Klecko, for example. So I looked at these three guys, and it was seems like three different paths to the Hall of Fame for them. Ken Riley did not have a lot of postseason honors, but he had a high statistical number, the tied for fifth all-time in interceptions. Joe Klecko had four Pro Bowls, was all pro twice. So that's kind of on the low end, but he had tremendous testimonials. As uh, as I just mentioned, Anthony Munoz was one, Joe DeLamalier, Howie Long. Right. They Stevenson. all were right. effusive. Stevenson. Yeah, awesome. Sure. And so they were all effusive about Joe Klecko. So he seems like he got in on testimonials. At least that was the strongest part of his case. Then you go to Chuck Howie. And of all the people in the 12 of the 12 finalists, he had the most honors. He was first team all pro five times. Uh, 
He also had six Pro Bowls. He also had some several all-conference selections in there. So he was honored most of the years of his career, and he had a Super Bowl MVP. So his path to the Hall of Fame seems like it was based on postseason honors. Uh, John, um, talk about Klecko a, a little bit, John. Um, he was the one that surprised me, but you're right. He had uh, some of the guys who might be considered the best at their positions all time, all time. Um, and John Hanna wasn't even on that Zoom call, but there were some quotes from John Hanna after the Zoom call uh, about Klecko. Um I guess he made the Pro Bowl, John, at three different positions, and that seemed to be uh, one of his claims to fame. Uh, he was the linchpin of that sack exchange. But still, John, if you told me two months ago that Klecko was going to be one of the three, I, I would have been a little surprised. Yeah, the reason I thought it wasn't surprising is he was very close last year, according to media reports. And there was a lot of times momentum carried year to year, not every time, but I think a lot of times there is just like with Ken Riley, he was nearly the nominee a, a few, a couple of years ago, but with Klecko, he's kind of akin to Howie Long and, and Dan Hampton in that he played multiple positions. Well, it's true. He went to the pro bowl at three different positions. He was a defensive end in 81, a defensive tackle in 83 and 84 and a nose tackle in 85. He, he was the NEA Defensive Player of the Year in 1981 and had 20 and a half sacks. So those are some impressive things. But again, I think it was the testimonials that took him over the top. John, give me some of your thoughts on Sterling Sharp in terms of, I don't think it's a stretch, John, to suggest over a five or seven year period, he, he was the second best um, target in, in the league behind Jerry Rice, the, in, the incomparable Jerry Rice. Um, short career, John, but I got a feeling that um, Sterling Sharp's time is, is coming. Well, it probably is. He was all pro uh, three times, and that's actually a lot for a wide receiver. There's always a lot of competition each year for being all pro. And he also was catching 118 or 120 balls a season in a time where that was actually pretty rare he wasn't it's not like now where it just seems like it's, it's ordinary but I think that the key thing about him is he caught a lot of touchdowns he was a guy who not only caught passes in the middle of the field but he he was a guy who could get open in the red zone and be you know for, he was he was Brett Favre's security blanket in a lot of ways so I think his time probably is coming his career is like Terrell Davis or Dwight Stevenson or even Tony Baselli in that they were at a high peak but didn't get the longevity box checked because they got hurt. We're speaking with historian John Turney on the I Test for Two podcast. And, John, interesting note here. The three guys we're talking about, talking about Riley, Howley, and Joe Klecko, none of them until this time, none of them, has been a finalist, including the centennial class of 2020, when they had 20 finalists, and yet all three now are on the short list for Canton. Uh, I found that a little bit unusual. Yeah, that is very unusual. You would think there would be more carryover. The ones that were getting close 
in past years would be the ones that would kind of go first. But it seems like uh, some of these guys are leapfrogging those who have been waiting longer in the queue. Yeah. And, and I hear some outrage in different areas. Obviously, people were, aren't happy with the persons uh, that they were hoping to get in. And honestly, the, the one that you hear most right now, or at least that I hear most, is Denver with Randy Gratishar. I get it. I understand it. He was 1978 Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he's more decorated than Joe Klecko. He made, I think, over 2,000 tackles, whether you believe that or not. But he made a lot of tackles. I know that. And I talked to historians, and so do you, who believe he was at or near the top of this list. And yet he's denied again. Um, do you have any words of solace for Denver fans? No, I really don't. I think Gratishar was another one of those that was very close in 2003, and he was also a finalist on, on the category, I believe, in 2008. But he's somebody that was so consistent that maybe he just gets overlooked in, in that particular category. He was second team all AFC in uh, 1976. Then he went to the Pro Bowl every year till the end of his career. So eight out of his 10 years, he had postseason honors. He was the first 3-4 inside linebacker to ever make an all-pro team. Usually, you know, it was a 4-3 middle linebacker in that era. Yep. And a defensive player of the year in 1978. And he was also third in the voting in 1977. So he, he totaled a lot of votes in that category. People, And that's, a, that's even more important, I think, than an all-pro selection. Because voters were saying, this is the top defender in the NFL, not just the top linebacker. So I understand why they were upset. And then you've got like, for example, Houston from 1975 to 83, they've got three hall of famers, Curly Culp, Robert Brazil, and um, Elvin Bethay. And, and there's no orange crush guys in, and their defense was generally rated higher than, than Oilers defense. So uh, it, it, I could see why the Broncos fans are upset. Yeah, I think you're preaching to the choir because Ira and I uh, both agree on this. And, and I thought Gratishar should have been one of the top three, but I thought Holly should have as well when I saw two linebackers. But there's no way they're putting both linebackers in. So maybe Holly gets it over Gratishar. I want to ask you this. Let's cut to the quick here. Can you stack your top three from the 12 finalists for us? Who would you have voted as your top three? Well, I would have had Gratishar and Holly as the top two. And the third one, I think, was just open to debate. I don't know that anybody stood out. There was probably four or five guys. But I think if it were me voting, I would have voted for Kuchenberg. But I also think Sterling Sharp was, was worthy. And um, I think Eddie Metter has a pretty good case. So I would have gone Kuchenberg third, though, after, after Howley and Gratishard. I think you just covered what it's it. worth. You just comforted Kuchenberg's presenter. That would be Mr. Ira Kaufman. <laughs> hey, uh, John, I, I want you to address Bengal Nation, John, because you do have a soothing way about you. Um, <laughs> and, John, they're greedy. They're greedy. They got Riley in, the second Bengal in behind Munoz. Now they want Anderson, John. Now they want Anderson. John, talk about Anderson sure. in, in this regard, John. He made a Super Bowl, but he didn't win it. Now, of course, he lost to Joe Montana in the start of the Niner dynasty that year, but he didn't win it. And if there's a knock on Anderson, who was super accurate, John, 70% completions back when 
55 was considered very good. Um, John, talk about quarterbacks and winning Super Bowls. Let's be honest, John. Eli Manning's going to be up for consideration based on basically those two games, beating Brady. Um, so it happens all the time. Unless you're a Dan Marino, John, it's tough to get in without that ring if you're a quarterback. Yeah, that's very true. And there's even quarterbacks who have a ring who are an MVP who, who haven't been able to, to make it. Uh, I think of Joe Theismann never gets a sniff. Now, maybe he should, maybe he shouldn't, but uh, he won a Super Bowl and lost a Super Bowl and was an MVP one year. Yeah. There's guys that have been MVPs that uh, are like Anderson who did not win a Super Bowl. So it's really hard to separate Ken Anderson from a Roman Gabriel to a John Brody. Uh, Phil Sims was an NEA MVP and won a, uh, two Super Bowls, really. He got hurt during the season in the second one. So it's really hard to really assess Ken Anderson in the sense that he had four passing titles and that MVP. He was a, a finalist twice, but he had that uh, donut hole in the middle of his career from 77, 78, 79, where he was just really average in terms of his passer rating. Uh, he threw a lot of interceptions. Of course, he was hurt a lot. But the upside to that is, Kurt Warner had a donut hole in his career as well. He played great for three years. Then he was injured for several years with the Rams and Giants. And then he kind of resurrected himself with the Cardinals and took them to a, a Super Bowl. So there's kind of a comparison there. So I don't think it, it's over for Ken Anderson, but I just think he's been weighed and measured quite a lot and been found wanting. And John, uh, I want you to weigh in a little bit on, on the guy that led off the discussion uh, yesterday, the first out of the 12, well, was Tommy Nobis, Mr. Falcon, first pick in 66. Uh, D. Orlando Ledbetter covers the Falcons. He did a nice job. And when he was finished, John, I made this point, and, and I think it's significant. He only played four years in the 60s, if you start in 66. And he made the all-decade team, and... Yeah, there was Nitschke's, you know, and Dave Robinson's and Butkus that made it too. But, John, here, here's who Nobus beat out in the 60s. Sam Huff, Chuck Howley, Maxie Bond, and Dave Wilcox. Now, John, two of those guys are in the th – three of those guys basically are now in the hall. Bond's waiting. So, John, a few thoughts about the late, great Tommy Nobus. Well, I thought he was obviously somebody as a kid, you would read about him when they had the books that would come out, uh, who the top middle linebackers were. But in retrospect, looking back, uh, he was only all pro once. He did go to five Pro Bowls, but he didn't seem to make as many plays as some of his contemporaries. He only had 12 interceptions in his career, only recovered 13 fumbles. Of course, they didn't know about sacks back then, but we have those now, and he only had nine and a half of those in his career. If you look at some of the other linebackers, they they pick off maybe 18 to 20, 25 passes, maybe recover 15 fumbles, and, and guys like Chuck Howley had 26 sacks. Maxie Bond had 24 and a half. So he really just did not have the credentials compared to, to who else was there. He, he was – 
the rookie of the year in 1966, and he had a lot of hype around him. I think he's one of those guys it's possible that his film is greater than his statistics because he was very well respected, and you saw a lot of testimonials about how good he was. I just think he's kind of been lost in the mix, and, and as we look at the numbers, they fall a little bit short. I speak with historian John Turney on the eye test for two. And John, we have the coach slash contributor meeting next Tuesday. And like this one this week, it's going to be done virtually with 12 voters. I'm going to be part of that. In fact, I'm um, presenting former coach Buddy Parker. Now, there are 12 candidates. Buddy Parker is one of them. Robert Kraft, Bucko Kilroy, John Wooten, Clark Shaughnessy, Mike Shanahan, Don Coriel, Dan Reeves. Mike Holmgren, Art Modell, Art Rooney Jr., and Rune Arledge. Only one will be chosen. Three were chosen yesterday by the seniors. Only one's going to be chosen here. I'll ask you a similar question as I asked you before. Could you stack your top three for me? I think I would have to put Buddy Parker first. He uh, won a pair of NFL titles. They didn't call them Super Bowls back in the 50s. But he also turned around a Steelers team, which was really not very good for a long time. He also was an innovator as a defensive coach. He doesn't get a lot of credit for that. But in the time he he coached, he was he was like Paul Brown in that he was ahead of the game. He he had his own defensive scheme and he, he called the left corner port and the right corner star. And he wrote about that in his book. Very interesting stuff. So with the two titles, I think that's really what should put him over the top, at least put him at the head of the queue of all the other coaches that have two wins. And some of those can't even get any traction. George Seifert had, has a couple of wins. And uh, of course, Mike Shanahan has a couple of wins, but they got hurt by their second act. Buddy Parker's second act with the Steelers was pretty darn good, given the talent he had to work with there. Who's two My or two? Yeah, go ahead. Two oh, and three. Yeah, two and three. I, I would prefer Don Coriel because now he can be considered as kind of a contributor slash coach. And I think in, in those terms, I think he's right there at the top. And I, I hope this will be maybe a chance that he can come over the top because it's not just a coaching category. I, I like Clark Shaughnessy for the same reason. He's one of those guys who changed the game. And if he can be considered a dual coach contributor, it seems like his odds will go up. John, any my prediction, though, is oh, – pardon me. Go ahead. Go ahead. My prediction is it will be Robert Kraft, though. That's just my gut feeling. So any words of advice or suggestions for Buddy Parker's presenter? Well, I would just focus that he was more than just a, a winning coach, that he was an innovator, that he had that uh, defense where he had the, the secondary called Chris's crew, where he, they were really a dominant group. And he was the guy who taught them all how to play. He was somebody who, in his book, was like Paul Brown, talked about the value of a quarterback. Everybody says the quarterback is the most valuable player and, and the most important player. Well, Buddy Parker wrote that in his book in 1956. So maybe it was pretty obvious back then as well, but at least Buddy Parker put it on paper 50 years before these um, stat type guys, the analytics guys came along. So I think that's another 
positive that this guy knew the importance of the game and and was a leader in terms of teaching and schemes and making a, a NFL defense that was in the top few every every year while he was with the Lions. Hey, John, one last one for me. You, you mentioned you think Robert Kraft will be the nominee. Why? Well, I just think it, it was always a matter of time. I think there was actually some politics involved when they when they created the category. I thought it was a lot to do with guys who had been on the on the board of directors, and that's where we saw the the Jerry Jones and and the Jerry Jones and uh, Pat Bolins. And I think I think truly, I mean, this is kind of a frank opinion. I think Robert Kraft would already be in had he not get into a little bit legal trouble a few years ago. I think that's past enough that I think Robert Kraft will have just enough support that it'll take him over the top. It's not who I would pick. It's not who I want. But that's where a prediction and what you want uh, don't meet exactly. John, last couple for me. Thanks, as always, for your contribution. John, first, I love your comments on Coriel. Now, I'm with Clark on Buddy Parker, and I hope Buddy Parker is the announced guy next week. But Coriel is a guy, John, that for a few years, after he kept getting rebuffed in the coaches category, uh, and I wasn't alone, but a bunch of us said, I, I think the guy could get in as a contributor rather than a coach. And now, you know, you got this combo category. It's it's made for Don Coriel. If he doesn't make it this year, John, I, I think I think his time's coming. I I agree. I think you know he's not who I would have first. I would like Buddy Parker because only because he's been waiting longer. He would be, in my opinion, ahead in the queue. But Coriel, without a doubt, was one of the most influential coaches in the history of the game. He, the dynamic passing attacks that he had were just unprecedented at the time. And it wasn't a dink and dunk offense that he, he coached. It was a lot of deep throws and uh, pass protection had to be a big part of that. So he, he was kind of the author of a, of a deep throwing offense that also was efficient in that it uh, didn't throw tons of interceptions and they threw a lot of touchdowns. And so that air Coriel, I think was special enough that he should be honored. And last one for me, John, how do you distinguish uh, down the line between a Holmgren, a Reeves, a Schottenheimer? Um, what distinguishes those, those three in your mind? Well, yeah, uh, Dan Reeves and Schottenheimer are are very similar because they never were able to so-called win the big one. But Dan Reeves got there four times and didn't get it done. But almost in those those games, generally the the best team won. So he just didn't. He it wasn't that he was a you know not a winning type coach. It was just that he met some juggernauts in in the Super Bowl. As far as as Mike Holmgren. He's another guy with he, I would equate him to Dick Vermeil. So once a guy with one Super Bowl gets in, that kind of makes the bar a little bit lower, to be honest. And that allows somebody like a Mike Holmgren to get in because it seems like if a coach is to be judged by winning Super Bowls, then the guys with two titles should go ahead of the guys with one. 
So Dick Vermeil, you know, he, he kind of jumped the queue a little bit and got in. So if you look at their, their resumes compared side by side, Mike Holmgren would probably compare a little bit favorably to Dick Vermeil. So I think that bodes well for him. I think if it's not this year, in the next four or five years, Mike Holmgren will be a Hall of Famer. You know, one thing about Holmgren, John, tell me if you agree. Uh, and I was at that game against Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I thought Holmgren had the better team that year. John, Pittsburgh used some weird plays. Um, Coward did a nice job. But I think that's that's one of the few Super Bowls, John, where I, I don't think the better team won that game. Well, and the referees were not, uh, let's call it, consistent in that game. It seems like uh, Seattle didn't get the calls. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So that didn't help. John Turney, we always appreciate the calls we get from you. Thanks so much for the time and the insight. And we'll probably be talking to you again soon. All right. Well, thank you very much. You guys have a great day. You got it. That was friend of the show, John Turney of Pro Football Journal. And Ira, I'll ask you the question that we asked John. We've got the coach contributor category coming up next week. You're on the outside looking in now as a senior voter. We'll be inside. How do you see that shaking out? Um, do you like Buddy Parker as well? Or do you think of Robert Kraft goes to the front of the pack? I think it's Parker's time, Clark. I hate to put pressure on you, Judge. I hate to do pressure. that. Yeah, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate what he's saying because there's momentum for Kraft. I know that. But that room's loaded. It really is. Because I'm a Coriel fan, too. I agree with what you said about Coriel as a contributor. I think that the time is right. But Buddy Parker's been waiting forever. Even, even Clark, even our resident Patriot fan, our great producer, Ian Glendon, even he would admit Kraft's got plenty of time to get in. Let's get Parker in. And by the way, Clark, we shouldn't leave this show without honoring our other historian, Ken Crippen. Yeah. Who who nailed the three guys that came out of the senior pool. He yeah, got them. he did. Puts a lot of pressure on Turney. Hey, speaking of Ian Glendon, you can't speak for him, Ira. He's here. So Ian, um, is that right? And your sentiments about Robert Kraft that he can wait while we get Buddy Parker in or what? No, I, you know, look, I, I'm with you guys. There's so many deserving people on this list. Um, I, I do kind of agree that, you know, based on, and you kind of made reference to this too, that uh, Robert Kraft's recency might bode well for him in terms of people, you know, have, you know, in that room, they have all seen what he's accomplished as the owner of the Patriots, whereas, I mean, who who in that room, how many people in that room has have actually studied Buddy Parker to the extent that they know Robert Kraft? So, in that sense, I can agree with with John in, in that maybe it's not who it should get in. There's a good chance he will or could. Yeah. But I agree. I mean, look, you know, there's a lot of guys on that list that, that deserve to get in. So I, I'm not going to be upset about any one of them. Well, as John mentioned, momentum counts for a lot. And, and Robert Kraft had it from last year. He was one of the close finishers last year. Okay, uh, Ira, final thoughts. What's going on down there? Tom Brady, where is he? <laughs> I think he's off the Amalfi Coast. Uh, <laughs> With Giselle and the kids, uh, Clark, I'll say this, and, and, and we'll let Ian weigh in on it a little. But, you know, people say, oh, no big deal. He, he's earned this after 22 years. Clark, this is Tom Brady. It is so out of the box and atypical for Tom Brady to take an extended vacation during training camp. Mr. All-In, Mr. Committed. Mister, he's the guy you look at and say, wait, wait a minute. Brady's staying after practice. 
I got to stay after practice. Ian, it, it's 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 very, very out of the box for Brady to do this. Uh, something in me thinks that maybe he booked this trip during his mini uh, retirement sabbatical, and uh, maybe he can't get the refund. So maybe he's forced <laughs> to go on this trip that it was un, unavoidable for him. But um, no, in, in all seriousness, yeah, I, I think I, I kind of fall somewhere in between where I'm like, you know, the guy's 45 years old. Like, I mean, if, if anyone could get away with having a few extra days off, it's at him. But at the same time, it's like, you know, there, there's some new faces in this offense. There's some new uh, uh, schemes that I'm sure that they're going to be working on. You want to see him out there uh, doing the most he can to to get acclimated to that. Uh, I, you know, I guess time will tell when week one kicks off and uh, we see what this offense looks like. Talk about a few extra days off. Ira, I think we're going to take him. We're going to take him right now. So that's going to do it for this show. As usual, if you want to hear this or any other I test for two podcasts, go to fullpresscoverage.com, find the podcast section and click on the I test for two. And if you don't, hey, your misfortune. Just check in with us next week. Thanks so much for listening.